Did we say Ephesians 4? Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Today we are beginning our Ephesians series, season 2. All right. If you've been around for, with us for a little while, you'll remember that we took a good number of uh, weeks uh, to, to dig into and walk through the first half of the book of Ephesians. And I made a promise, actually, I just went back and I re-listened to that first sermon, uh, and then the last one in the series as well, I was just kind of listening to the bookends of how we started and ended that study of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and I remember making this really distinct promise. I said, we're going to end, we're going to get to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, then we're going to have the holiday break, and then in March, we're going to pick up the Ephesians series at chapter 4, right? What month is this? Okay, so I'm, I'm a month late, Right? Except I'm a month and a year late because I made that promise at the end of 2021. And so, <laughs> but we are, we're doing it, guys. We're picking up the series again. Um, that whole series is online for you. I'm not going to preach, re-preach the whole series just so that you can get caught up. We're going to dig right back into, we're just going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4 today. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, of a recap, though, so we can get caught up. If you've never read the book of Ephesians or if you weren't here for that study, uh, by the time I get into the, like, the meat of this message today, you will, you'll be caught up, I promise you. And then the rest of it is online, so you can really go get caught up. Does that sound like a deal? Okay, but um, just so you know, the reason that we uh, took so much time off this series, because when we, when we got into the year 2022, the Lord just said, hey, there's another thing I want you to talk about. So we did some spiritual gifts series. We, we were doing some really good stuff that we feel like the Lord was saying to our church for the last little bit over a year. Um, so I don't regret, like we're not late. We're actually right on time. In fact, I think it's the perfect time for us as we're in this year that the theme word for our year is assemble. We're building together what we cannot build alone. This is the perfect time for us to get into Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 because this is where Paul begins to tell us this is what it would look like for you to be a part of the church. What a perfect time to, to study that exact thing. So uh, let's, let's, um, let's dig in a little bit so that we can, uh, but just by way of review, uh, and by the way, um, the good like preacher trope would be, let me read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. And then we'd go, okay, let's pause there. Every single, this is, if you've been at church ever, you've heard a preacher say this. If you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore, right? It's just like, I, Jan Spencer was saying that to me while I was a, a kid in this church, right? Like, that's just, that's, that's what we do. We're just revealing the game to you <laughs> for the moment. But we're going to do that. We're going to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And, and what therefore is therefore in the beginning of what we call Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 1, it's there to say, because of everything I have said to you so far, now, now I want you to hear this, right? Paul has this way of, if you've, if you've ever read any of Paul's writings, uh, which there are 13 opportunities for you to do so in Scripture and possibly the book of Hebrews as well. We think he may have written Hebrews. Um, but if you've ever written or read any of what Paul has written, you know he has a way of like doing run-on sentences, right? Like he has sentences that last half a chapter sometimes, Right? And, and he's one of those guys that you, have, you read and then you go, okay, let me read that seven more times so that I can understand half of what he said. 
He's, he just layers implications and meaning and nuance into what he writes, and I believe that is because he wasn't just a very smart person, but because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write words that were good for his original audience and down through time all the way to us in 2023 as well. Amen? All right, so... What has Paul said already? Now, just for context, Ephesians is not a book that Paul wrote with verse numbers and chapters. It was a letter. And it was a letter that he wrote to, uh, to the church in Ephesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, am writing to you to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So Ephesus, let's talk about what Ephesus was just for a second so you can get some context because I think this will be helpful for why we are studying this book. Ephesus was uh, an interesting place. It was a, a port city and it was an influential port city. Uh, it was actually called the mother city of all Asia. It had a global reach and influence. So if you were connected to Ephesus in any way, you were connected to the rest of the known world. Uh, there was a population of around 200 to 250,000 people. So it's actually roughly the population of the city of Lancaster. Uh, but in those days, it was one of the largest cities in the world. It actually, the population of Ephesus rivaled Rome, which everyone considered to be uh, the most influential uh, place in the world in that time. Ephesus was also the home to pagan worship, which uh, there was a temple of uh, Artemis or Diana, depending on who you were talking to, they had different names uh, for the god that was worshipped in this temple. And actually, uh, it was known as that temple, the, the temple of Artemis, was known, is known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So significant place, built uh, significant buildings and temples and worshiping all kinds of gods in Ephesus. It was known as a, as a metropolitan hub. And, uh, and actually, this place was referenced in Acts 18 when Paul uh, had a run-in with an idol maker. You, you remember this story where Paul is, is being, he's trying to minister and he's being followed by this girl who had a demon in her and, and the girl is going like, these people are actually telling the truth. They're from the Messiah, right? And Paul gets really frustrated because he wasn't about that business right now and he didn't want the, the, de the demon was actually doing something different. We're not studying that passage today. But Paul, it says, he let it go on for three days and he gets annoyed and he turns around and he casts the demon out of the girl in Jesus' name. Right? So this, this girl, it turns out that the, the demon was causing the girl to have divinations, like to, ha to, to have insights and prophecies and, and all of that kind of stuff. Because you know the devil has power too, just not anywhere near as much power as Jesus. Well, this girl was actually, because of the abilities that the demon was giving her, was making money for these idol makers in town. And so now, all of a sudden, these idol makers had lost their ability to make money off of this girl. And so they were not Paul fans. Right? This is the same, the same group of people, this is the same idea, the same place that uh, Luke writes about in Acts chapter 18 about Paul's experience there. Uh, and so Ephesus as a city was heavily influenced, like that story in Acts 18 tells us, it was heavily influenced by sorcery and magic, which is also why Paul uses language like principalities and dominion in his letter to Ephesus because he's speaking their language, their cultural language. You are dealing with principalities and there is dominion issues and he's bringing that to a spiritual understanding. So these would be people who were spiritual but not religious. 
right? Ever heard anybody talk like that? Okay. Now, you might not live in Ephesus. You might not live in Los Angeles or New York. You live in the Antelope Valley, and you're thinking, well, we're not like Ephesus. We're not connected to the world until you pull your phone out of your pocket and you realize you are connected to the world. So it's important for us to study Ephesus or to study the book of Ephesians written to the people in Ephesus uh, because we are like them. We live in a world where we are pull, all our attention is pulled and, and our passions are pulled to all kinds of other things. We live in a world full of magic and, and, and sorcery. We just call a lot of that all kinds of different things. We live in a world of political power and, and division and divisiveness. And we live, in a, we live in a world very much like what they live in. We just have a lot of that technology and global connection in our pocket all the time. So it's important that we study the book of Ephesians. Now, Paul understood that Ephesus was an important place, and we live in an important place in an important time. You are important people, whether you believe that or not. Uh, there, is, there is a lot to get out of what Paul writes to the people of Ephesus uh, here. But I, I want you to understand, he's not writing to the city of Ephesus. He's writing to the faithful saints, the Christians, the church in Ephesus. So it's not like he would write the letter to Rx Paris, the mayor of Lancaster. He would write it to the church. He would write it to the Highlands, to Life Church, to Liberty Church. He would write it to the vineyard in Lancaster and the vineyard in Palmdale. He would say, the churches, pass this letter around, all of you. This is what God is saying to you right now. And it would actually, the letter would be passed around to every house church in the city. And it would be read until everybody had heard it. This is why he says, I'm writing to the faithful saints. Why is this important? Because Paul is writing to you, the ones who live in a world pulling at your attention, but you remain faithful to God. And so for three chapters, he has been writing about the mysterious and powerful work of Jesus to save and change lives. He's been writing with... Uh, to express his heart for followers of Jesus to live at peace with one another and in the world and with God. And he's been writing thoughts about what it looks like for followers of Jesus to live among the, in the world uh, among fellow believers as something called citizens of heaven. And so you might actually be able to sum up the first three chapters of Ephesians as saying that Paul is writing to faithful Christians in a world pulling on their attention to remind them of just how amazing it is to be counted in the body of Christ. And then he concludes this whole first section, and this is how we ended our series, by focusing on a prayer that he writes right in the middle of his letter. And that prayer sounds like this. You can read it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. He says, I pray that God may grant you, according to his riches, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was one sentence, by the way. He goes on, he says, he, goes, he says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, which includes us now, forever and ever, amen. So now, 
Having written all of that, Paul turns a corner. And, and Ephesians chapter 4, the beginning of what we know as Ephesians 4, uh, for him it just was the next thought. He actually turns a corner and says, having said all of those things, here's what I want you to hear now. And this corner turning moment is so important that years and years later in, in his own uh, commentary and translation of scripture, Marcus Barth actually referred to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 as the constitutional statement of the church. Well, you think the Constitution of the United States is important. This is the constitutional statement of the Church of Jesus Christ, according to Marcus Barth, and, and I would agree with him. I think this is where we go. What is the heartbeat of the church? And what we're going to study this week and next week and a little bit into the third week, uh, we will begin to see the constitutional statement of Jesus' church. And today we're going to focus on the first 10 verses of Ephesians 4. Uh, if you would allow me to read them for you out of the CSB translation, uh, Paul says, therefore, so we've covered that part already, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. We'll pause there for today and let's just walk through uh, what Paul is saying as he begins with what we would call this constitutional statement of the church. As Paul is turning the corner, he said, this is what it means for you to be in the kingdom. This is the gospel. He preaches the gospel multiple times, and then he pauses to pray for us that we would know the gospel, that it would mark our lives. And then he says, now therefore, live like this. Paul actually makes a, a, a massive claim here, uh, and I'm going to try to package this for you in the form of three urges, three, three wishes, three invitations that Paul would give to us as we are living in the church, as we are together building or assembling the church, not just this year, but for the rest of our lives. And the first thing Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy. Listen to it again. He says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, again, everything up to this point has been about the nature of the church. These faithful saints that he's writing to and us, saved by grace, called from death to life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in unity with God and with each other. Now Paul begins to give instructions for Christian living, and the first thing he says, I urge you, walk worthy of the calling. Specifically to be righteous children of God. Do that. Be that. Live like this. Paul is raising the bar pretty high. In fact, it reminds me that Paul's not the only person who raises the bar pretty high. In, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 9, we see that Jesus did the same thing as he was inviting people to follow him. L listen to a couple of encounters that Jesus has that Luke records in chapter 9 of his gospel. As they were traveling on the road, someone, to say, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said, foxes and dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if we don't understand what Jesus is doing here, he sounds like he's being rude. This sounds harsh, except that we understand this because Jesus intentionally doesn't make it easy to follow him for a a very specific purpose. And that purpose is that he understands the weight of the calling. He knows what he's doing. He understands that this is a matter of life and death. This is serious business. Jesus had not come to invite you to join a club. He came to usher in the kingdom of heaven into this world. To invite you into the kingdom... And that kingdom entry comes at a cost. It's expensive to get into the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is meant to be our home, right? More than our physical homes. It's meant to carry our allegiance more than we give our allegiance to anything earthly. And then also Jesus understands and Paul understands that we're then also in the kingdom of, the, of heaven on earth meant to be on mission. And that the mission, or the the object of our mission, is those who are dead in Christ, or those who have not placed placed their faith in God yet. Which is more important than our general Western mission that is handed to us as we are raised in this world that says pursue comfort as best you possibly can. And be happy, that's the goal of good American living. And by the way, comfort and happiness are not bad. They're just not enough. Right? See, Paul understands this high calling so much that he calls himself a prisoner of it. He says, I'm bound to this. I, I am caught up in this. I cannot escape this high calling. It's, it's the very thing that holds my life together. And for Jesus, the calling is not optional. For Paul, this calling requires a way of living that is worthy of the call. I just, I just want you to understand what Jesus and Paul are both saying is we are not just playing games here. What got you access into salvation was death. This is not a, Jesus did not do you a favor. He saved your life with his own. And that should matter, right? He's saying walk worthy of that. Let, that. let that be weighty. And so immediately we can pause here and say that there's a question for us to ask, what place does God's kingdom have in my life? Is God's kingdom and purpose and church a nice addition that I've built on to the life that I built? Or is God's kingdom and purpose in church the foundation of my life and everything else built, is built on that? And if it doesn't match that purpose and calling, then it doesn't fit in my life. It's an important question. It's an important question. And I think the people that have the right answer to that question are the ones who will not hear when they get to the gates of heaven, go away from me because I didn't actually know you. 
And by the way, you know the answer to this sort of question if you run a thought experiment. If Jesus walks into this room right now, looks you dead in the eye, and says, follow me, drop everything you're doing and follow me, what just came to your mind that you have to, what business do you think you have to handle before you can say yes to that invitation? That's what's running your life. And I know that sounds harsh, but Jesus died to have the right to say that to you. Right? This, this is serious business. This is what Paul is saying. Guys, I wrote a lot already about all of this, and he's saying, therefore, on the weight of three chapters worth of holy scripture, therefore I urge you to walk worthy of that calling. Whew. So, Walking worthy begins with answering the call to radically follow Jesus. Not kind of follow Jesus. Not follow Jesus once a week or even one Sunday a month. And, and by the way, not, not to follow Jesus by attending church, but by surrendering, surrendering your entire life, building your entire life. Like Jesus is so serious about this that he would say if there's anything about you that doesn't fit into my kingdom, your job is to get rid of that, not me. Otherwise, you don't get to be a part of my kingdom. Because it's his kingdom. I don't get to call the shots on the framework of his kingdom. It's a serious business. God is by Paul calling us to walk worthy of that calling. And he goes on. Paul's not done. He says, this is a little bit of what it looks like. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, do this walking with all humility and gentleness and patience. I love this. This is a good reminder of who it is that we're actually walking worthy for. And we do that walking by imitating the one who gave us access into the kingdom. In other words, you walk worthy by living your life in a way that looks like Jesus. Right? So we walk worthy, imitating Jesus. It looks like be a humble person, be gentle, be patient. Paul could have easily written this, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, as saying, as you're following Jesus, don't be arrogant, rough, rude, and don't be harsh, and don't easily come to make judgments, and don't take judgmental action against other people. But he could have easily said all of that. And as I, as I say it like that, I feel like he's describing America. <laughs> me in some ways, right? Don't be, don't, don't rush to judgment. Don't be rude. I, I like that he, he said it in a nicer way. Be humble, gentle, and patient. Ultimately, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, live in such a way that when people look at your life, they say, that person is taking seriously what was sacrificed to give them access into the kingdom. It reminds me uh, very much of one of my favorite movies of all time, a movie called Saving Private Ryan. Just so you know, I'm going to spoil this movie a little bit for you. It's like 20 years old. If you haven't seen it yet, I, I, I cannot allow myself to feel bad about that at the risk of a really good sermon illustration. Okay, uh, so just that's it. Also, like, it's about World War II. So when I say to you that in World War II, people died, that won't go, oh, what, people died during a war? Yeah, you know, like, so, okay, so this is based on true events, um, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and, and in this movie, you have um, a, a band of, of soldiers who are called together under the leadership of Tom Hanks, uh, Captain Miller, um, 
and, and Captain Miller leads his, his soldiers through to, on this mission, and their mission was that they were to go and find the last living son of three brothers of the, the Ryan family. So Private Ryan was, that's why they call it Saving Private Ryan. Um, so so they, he was, he was, his two brothers had died, and the army had decided we're not going to have the last son of this fa family die in the war. We're going to call him home, right? Epic music plays, right, as I'm explaining this epic movie. See, this is an anointed illustration, right? Okay. So the soldiers go, and, and, and several of them die along the way, losing their lives to save Private Ryan. And they get to the very end, and, and they finally meet uh, Private Ryan, and they, uh, he is saved. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the battle is over, and he's going to be safe. Like the, the movie is coming to an end. Uh, but what we find at the end of the movie is that even Captain Miller has given his own life to save the life of this kid, Private Ryan. And as he's laying there dying, Captain Miller is uh, he's breathing his final breath. And Private Ryan kneels down in front of him, and Captain Miller's whispering something to him. And he, so he leans in close, Ryan does, and, and he looks at him, and he says... Earn this. Earn it. And then he dies. There's no more battle to fight. Ryan is safe. Miller is dead. Along with several others. The movie then beautifully cuts to years and years later. Ryan is now an old man. He's come with his family to the memorial where Captain Miller is buried. And he kneels down at the headstone, which interestingly enough is a cross. And as he's kneeling down, he's saying, I, I didn't know what I was gonna feel, what it was gonna be like for me to come back here today. I brought my family with me. And I've lived this life And every day, I think about what you and the other men gave up so that I could live. And every single day, I've thought, I hope, that if at least you would think that it was worth it. And he stands up and his wife walks over and she has no idea of the context of what she's just, the conversation with a dead man that she just walked into. But she, can, she senses there's something going on here. And Ryan looks at his wife and tears in his eyes and says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived well. And she says, of course you have. And he stands at attention and he salutes the man who gave his life for his And whether it was, there was an awareness on set or not, that is one of the best depictions of what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling that I have ever seen in my life. Now I want to be clear. When Captain Miller says, earn it, he's not saying, if you don't walk worthy of the calling, I'll come back from the dead 
and take it back. He's saying live in such a way that this would have been worthwhile. Walk worthy. And Jesus doesn't look at you, and Paul's not saying, hey, if you've messed up since you came to faith in Christ, then Jesus takes it back. He says, no, take it seriously. Understand what was given for you. Not the sacrifice, which was deeply meaningful, of a group of men for one other man. But this is the sacrifice of one man who is God himself who says, I died so that you could live, all of you. And then Paul comes along and says, that should mean something to you. Walk worthy of that. This should change your life, not just where you sit on a Sunday morning, but what you do every single day of your life. Walk worthy of that. Not attend church worthy of that. Not say amen to a good sermon of that, but walk every day of your life worthy of that. And here's the rub. You have failed at walking worthy of that. Which is why Paul doesn't say perform worthy of that. He says walk worthy of that. Make this the theme of your entire life. When you fall, what do you do when you fall? You get back up and you keep on walking. So walk worthy of that. Keep on trying to be worthy of that. Not because you'll earn salvation, but because it was a free gift given to you before you could earn it, knowing you could never have earned it. When you were not worthy of it, he said, I make you worthy of it because I love you. Now walk as if you're worthy of it. That's what he's saying here. Walk worthy. Remember who called you. It's not about earning salvation. It's about honoring the one who gave it to you with every day of your life. Right? And if we can catch all of that, then I propose to you that the rest of what Paul says up to verse, verse 10 is actually really easy to talk about. So the next thing that he says is walk together. He says it in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, but just at the beginning here, he says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're supposed to be unified. I love the idea that Paul doesn't just say, walk worthy by yourself, good luck. He's saying, all of you, the church at Ephesus, the church at the Antelope Valley, walk worthy together. Walk together. In unity, do the work of unity. So just a couple of points here, just a couple of things I want you to understand. Number one is that unity takes work. Unity actually takes work. Uh, left to our own devices, we will uh, pursue our own devices. And Paul says, walk in unity, which means maybe you should pursue the benefit and the blessing of others. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Where we see conflict, we should ask questions like, what would peace look and feel and sound like in this moment? I think we also have to understand, as much as unity takes work, we also understand that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that we all end up looking like Paul. Unity doesn't mean that we all end up looking like Tim. Thank God. 
Unity means that we actually embrace and celebrate the diversity of the kingdom and the body that we're all called to be a part of, right? Paul calls it the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, not the unity of your opinion. We don't have to all agree with you. We have to all agree with Jesus, the spirit of the living God, with the word of God, right? And this takes a lifetime of work to work out in us, not so that we all look the same, but so that we all look more like Jesus, and Jesus is cool with the fact that we don't all look the same and come from the same cultural background and have the same ideas and even the same political opinions and the same social convictions as long as we all agree on Scripture and live walking worthy of that calling. And by the way, just for the record, there are things that this book does say, like those things are sin, don't do that. We should all walk in unity about those things. But many, many things are just, oh, that's beautiful that you see the world that way. Celebrate that. But we walk in unity together. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of you are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share that same spirit. So I propose to you that we can do the work of walking in unity and walking together, walking worthy together. As we do things like, for example, learning what other cultures are, are represented around you. Did you know that your cultural background is not the only one represented in this room right now? You know that, right? Like, did you know the guy talking to you right now isn't even an American? <gasps> no, I, I was born in England. My mom is German, and my dad is English, which makes the World War II illustration I just gave you really ironic. And I moved here when I was a kid. I have a global perspective because that's the cultural background that I have. But I'm also like a really white guy. And I love that in our church, we're not just a bunch of really white people. I love that because at the end of the story, every tribe and tongue and nation will bow their knee to Jesus in unity and declare that he is Lord together. We will not become a homogenous soup of no cultural background. We will worship Jesus as ourselves, fully alive and fully restored and fully healed together. We should celebrate that. So if you're going to spend all of eternity with these people, find out who they are. <laughs> Learn about their cultural background. Learn what members of other cultures value and desire and fear. And then don't be reason for fear in them. Right? Celebrate the beauty that you discover and resist the urge to criticize their weakness. Look, White people have a lot of weaknesses. I wish that the people that would spend the time like criticizing white people's weaknesses were white people. Culturally, we're usually so bad at it that we need other people to tell us where we're wrong. We're learning. But look, that's not just true of white people, right? 
I know I'm stepping on some massive cultural landmines right now. Lord, be with me as I walk through this treacherous moment. What if your culture has brokenness? Two. Like cancel culture and critique culture and uh, pretending like one culture should get to tell the other culture what to do. All of this stuff is the world's way of handling issues. What if we work for unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? I don't have to pretend that my culture doesn't have problems and that we've got it all figured out, but I also don't have to pretend like we have all the problems and you don't also have problems. Right? So I'm here, I'm here to learn how to be a white guy in 2023 with friends who aren't, so that we can not, so that we can be the most socially forward-thinking church in America. What a waste of energy. No, so that we can walk together in the unity of the Spirit of God and the bond of peace. That sounds like a more interesting conversation to me, right? I'm just going to stop having the conversation with the the world's way. I'm going to try to have this conversation Jesus' way. Look, what did I just tell you? It's an important conversation. Social diversity and unity. It's an important conversation. I don't know that I've seen it done well very often. On, from either side that's tried. Jesus knows how to have this conversation. Paul seems to suggest it here. Right? Oh, we made it, Lord. I talked... I talked about diversity in a church in Southern California, and I'm still alive. (laughs) We did it. Okay. God is good. Can we move on? Please move on. Yeah, okay. Let's move on. (laughs) If we're going to walk together, we have to walk together with the third point, walking submitted. Right? This is the only way it works. We walk worthy, we walk together, and we walk submitted, which is why Paul continues what he wrote. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Not because you're super gifted or I'm super gifted or because this church is super gifted, but because Jesus gave us gifts. What's the first gift he gave? us grace. Next week we'll talk about some of the other gifts that Jesus gives to the church, but the first one he gives is grace. Paul is essentially reciting the gospel here, which he has already done several times in the first three chapters of Ephesians, but the difference between our story and Private Ryan's story is that the person who died to give us life is also still alive. And he is the head of the body that we are a part of. So we, together, walking in unity, are submitted to the head, Jesus Christ. That's the only way all of that social landmine stuff that I just tried to walk through will actually work. Not because we're smart, but because we're submitted. Under him, together, in all of our idiosyncrasies and weirdnesses and cultural beauty, all of that, all of it is only possible to be united because of Jesus. So 
So we're a body because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one God, one Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. Getting to be a part of that community is what grace actually looks like. This, this is what Jesus died and rose again to give us an invitation into. So this is the call that we're invited to walk worthy of. This, this is what we're meant to walk in unity about, to work this out in our community and in our church. So Ephesians was a letter that was written to Christians holding on to their faith in a world that was pulling at their attention and offering them a worldly identity. And Paul says, walk worthy of the call to a better identity. So we're going to spend the next little while continuing to study in Ephesians, starting with the rest of chapter 4, moving on through chapter 5, and ending in chapter 6, learning what Paul would say it looks like for us to walk worthy of the call. Amen? It's a, it's a high calling. This is why we're studying Ephesians. That's why Paul makes this plea in the middle of the letter. Please live up to the calling. So final questions for you today. How is your walk? How is your unity? And how is your submission? How is my walk? How am I doing at my walk with God? Am I walking worthy? Or am I just hoping that my performance will make God happy? Am I walking worthy? Or have I not really been taking this thing seriously? Am I walking worthy? Or am I hiding sin in my life? Or am I hiding behind unhealthy habits? How's your walk? How's your unity? Are you doing this alone? Are you coming into church and leaving as quickly as you possibly can? Because I do not want anyone to ask me how I'm doing because I don't know how I would answer that question or because, quite frankly, I don't think it's anyone's business. Just leave me alone. I only came here to hear a sermon and get out of here as fast as I possibly can. And friend, if that is you, I would just propose to you something, if I may be so bold. I don't think that you come in and leave as quickly as you can because you're arrogant, because you don't really love Jesus, because you don't value church. I propose to you, if I could just submit so boldly to you, that you do it because you're scared. Because somewhere along the way, church hurt you, somebody in the church hurt you, or you're tired or because you understand that relationships take work and you don't know if you have bandwidth in your life for friends and, or just because you don't like people because they've hurt you. All of that underneath, at the core of all of it, I think is fear. And I get it. I understand. It's real. But it's not a good enough reason to hide to be alone, and you cannot do this alone. You can't, and you know it.
if church has failed you, if your unity is sour because church has been a point of pain to you, can I just say as the pastor of a church, maybe even it's possible the church that has been a part of hurting you because we're a church. I would just like to say I'm sorry. That wasn't God's intention. You did go to a church with humans in it. We didn't mean to. Please receive healing and extend grace and forgiveness. Trust again. How's your unity with the body that God has called you into? This does take work. Receive the grace of Jesus to do the work. And how is your submission? Have you been trying to build a kingdom that looks like you? Or are you submitted with the body of Christ to the kingdom of Jesus? And now I'm going to ask you to do something that for some of us might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but because this is a call to unity, we're going to respond to this in the context of unity, which is community. So I'm going to ask you as we wrap up our service today, if you would turn to one or two other people around you. And if, if that's a person you've never met before, you could just do a quick, hey, my name is, and my name is, just introduce each other, yourselves to each other really quick and just take a moment and, and, and just do confession. There was three questions I just asked, and you can just say to your friends that you're going to pray with, the, the one I'm praying about today is, the question and then you just say right remember the three questions how's your walk how's your unity how's your submission walk unity submission those three ideas so which one pulls at your heart today tell the people that you're going to pray with you know what the, the unity one pulled at my heart the submission one pulled my heart the, the walk pulled at my heart today and then just pray together this is the work of unity this is what the church does. This is what it looks like. Yes, it will be uncomfortable for some of us. I pray even now, Jesus, as we turn and pray with each other and do the work of unity and the bond of peace, that you would bring healing and life as we seek to walk worthy of the high calling of being sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and turn now. Answer the question. How's your walk? How's your unity? How's your submission? And then pray with each other. Take a moment to pray.